Well, good morning, everyone. You know, it's good to see you. Honestly, uh, this week, as I kept hearing about folks in our area who were not going to be here because uh, they were going south in order to see the eclipse, and I thought to myself, you know you live in an area full of type A people when 91% of the eclipse is just not quite enough. Let's get out of town to make sure we can see 100%. So uh, congratulations to them. The rest of us will just kind of feel like we're slackers and only see 91%. It'll Somehow, though, we will survive. So it's good to be here with you this morning. And we're continuing our look at uh, the letter to the Philippians. And so we have uh, this week and then uh, next week will be uh, the last week. We'll be finishing it off. So... Um, and then in the fall, just to let you know, we'll be looking at the letter uh, to the Acts, or the, the letter of Acts, not to the Acts, but uh, at the book of Acts. And so uh, we're excited about that, and we'll be doing that uh, starting on the 10th of September. So, um, But today we're looking at chapter 3, uh, verse 17, through the ninth verse of the fourth chapter. And so I invite you to hear these words from Paul. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, and I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame." Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of His glory, by the power that also enables Him to make all things subject to Himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I also ask you, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we give you praise for the music this morning, for the ways in which it helps us to worship you. 
We give you praise this morning, Lord, for this building in which we have been blessed to be able to come and gather together as sisters and brothers to celebrate that which has happened this week, to mourn, to confess, and to know that we are not alone. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would be with us in this time, and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So as we uh, dive into today's passage, I thought that maybe it would be a little bit helpful just to know a little bit more about the city of Philippi, the church, which is where the church is located, where Paul is writing, obviously. And uh, Philippi, uh, about a hundred years before Paul ever got there, it was not far from that particular city where um, a major battle had been fought and been won. There was a Roman uh, civil war after a, uh, after a Caesar had died, and so there was much battling. And, uh, and then all of a sudden there, two generals, uh, Antony and Octavian, they won uh, the battle, which meant that they had won the whole war. And so there, just a little ways away from, uh, from Philippi, there were a bunch of soldiers who had nothing to do. And, as it's been pointed out, if you're a Roman emperor and you're there in Rome, the last thing you want is for a bunch of soldiers, young soldiers, to come back to your city with very little to do. Right? There's a reason that none of you are emperors. And so... So they decided that we'd better give them something to do and give them a place to go. And so they sent all of those soldiers and then others from other battles into Philippi in order to colonize that particular area for Rome. And so by the time that Paul had Paul got there, it had been thoroughly kind of Romanized, if you will. It was an important Roman or excuse, yeah, important Roman colony by that time. And I, I bring all of that up because when Paul writes to the people here in this particular passage and he says that you are citizens of heaven, he does so with great intentionality because he knows he's speaking the language of the people in Philippi. They know what it is to live in one place, if you will, but to actually be a citizen someplace else. And so Paul uses then that kind of common parlance, if you will, to say, guess what? Even though you live here, you are actually citizens of another place. You are citizens of heaven. You have a different leader who is Jesus Christ the Lord. But not only that, Paul also wants them to know that even though they are here, that they have a call to live differently, to live like a follower of Jesus, and to do so in a way that influences those who are on the ground. In other words, just like the Roman Empire was hopeful that these soldiers would go and help to influence the people who were already there in the Roman ways, so too, Paul says, that we are hopeful that you as followers of Jesus will be able to be wherever you are, not disengage with the people there, but wherever you are, that you will be able to be an ambassador, if you will, an influencer for the gospel, for Christ. 
And so Paul then, as he's kind of done throughout the letter, he begins to point out again some particular areas, some characteristics of people who are citizens of heaven rather than being citizens of the earth. And we've already talked about some of these, so I won't uh, belabor it too much, but I briefly just want to talk about a few of these. Uh, First, Paul says that you should be marked, your lives should be marked, not by consuming, not by consuming, but by the cross. Right? There's some question as to exactly who it is that Paul's talking about. But right there, you'll, if you were listening, you will hear that he says that there are some for whom God is their belly, their glory is in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. Some people think that Paul's talking about the people, uh, the, the, the circumcisers, as we talked about last week, and some think that Paul's talking about someone else. It doesn't really matter, because as Richard Hayes points out, it's pretty easy for us to translate those words to where we are today. The truth be told, by and large, there are many in our culture, uh, perhaps even many who wrestle here with not having God be our belly, not having our glory be in our shame, and not setting our minds continually on earthly things. Right? I, I love the, the, the message, the way that the message uh, kind of translates this particular part. The message says, it says this, it says, I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross. But easy street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies their gods. Belches are their praise. And all they can think of is their appetites. Belches is their praise. This is last two weeks have been like teenage boy adolescent dreams, right? I'm not going to say what we said last week if you weren't here, but um, but um, but we had that last week, and then belches are their praise. Isn't that great? imagery of this kind of sense of just consuming and consuming. And then what do you do? You belch so that you can consume more, right? I mean, this is like, this is what it feels like to be on vacation, like all of the time. And by and large, by and large, this is the kind of society, it seems to me, that we can continually kind of easily fall into, where we have to have more and more and are never really content. And whatever we see, we want more of. What, but what Paul says is, rather than being marked by consumption, we are called to be marked by the cross, which is a very different lens through which to see the world. The mark of the cross is one that's full of sacrifice, one full of oftentimes of giving things up, one at times is full of, of, of suffering. It is, it is not always getting more and more, but giving more and more. It is, a, it is a life marked by generosity. In fact, one of the interesting things, and I'm certainly not the first person to ever point this out, is what a marvelous job we have done of taking the cross and making it into a consumer kind of thing, right? I mean, easily we've taken the cross and we make it into fine, beautiful jewelry that we put around our necks or into a stained glass cross like what we have right there, right? Or, or we make it into some kind of beautiful thing to hang up on our wall. 
right? And, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, you should kind of rip that. Don't try to hide the cross that you have around your neck. I took mine off before I got in here this morning. And don't, you know, I'm not saying we should take the, the you know, the cross up here and just crash it or, or throw off the wall hangings. But I do think that we need to be wary of how comfortable you are with the cross. Because the cross is supposed to be a mark, as you know, of torture, a mark of death. It is supposed to be a mark of suffering and of the sacrifice to which we are called to live. And if you make it overly comfortable, it will never challenge how much you consume. And you can keep wearing your cross and belching your praise, and you will never even see that there is some kind of inconsistency in that. So Paul says your lives should look like, should be marked, not by consumption, but by the cross. And I think one of the ways that we see this kind of playing out is in the ways in which we relate to one another. In this kind of, I think, kind of fascinating part of the letter, this doesn't happen very often, Paul kind of calls out two women. He calls out Euodia and Syntyche. Which, by the way, if you're curious, because we have had so many daughters, we had kind of run out of names, and so we had decided if we had two more, we were going to call them Euodia and Syntyche, because it's it's a great name, right? So, uh, so anyways, so for some reason, we don't know exactly why, but for some reason, they were in conflict with one another. And so Paul then calls them to no longer be in conflict. But you notice he doesn't just say, come on, guys, let's just get along. Let's just hug and act like everything's okay. No, no, no. What he does is he calls them to a higher call, higher form of living. He says, have the mind of Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is, Euodia and Syntyche, what I need you to do is I need you to put on the cross your own desires, your own agendas, even your own hurts, and your own desire to be winning this particular argument, whatever it's about, and I need you instead to put those on the cross and to go to a higher plane where what is most important to you is whatever it is that Christ desires. I need you to be able to look at one another in that way. In other words, whenever it comes to the cross, not only should it change how we understand our own relationship with God, it should also have massive ramifications for how we relate to others. Stephen Fowle has this great comment, I think, where he says that that Christ is not dependent upon his disciples being perfect. And thank God for that, right? Thank you. Someone here is honest. But Christ is dependent on a group of disciples who are willing to confess, who are willing to forgive, who are willing to reconcile. Right? And let me remind you, a beautiful prayer today by Lisa, let me remind you that in our time and in this place, what we would be, help, would be most helpful in our society is to have a group of people, let's say a group of people who are citizens of heaven, who lead the way in being willing to confess, who lead the way in being willing to forgive, who lead the way in being willing to reconcile. He says, that's what I need. A people of the cross are not a people who are always perfect, which doesn't then give us license to not try and do as well as we can, but we are a people who are called to be marked differently, to forgive just as we have been forgiven. It's not always asking 
Am I right? Can I get my way? Will I be able to win this fight? Instead, it is asking, what is going to glorify the Lord? Citizens of heaven are not marked by consumption. They're marked by the cross. Citizens of, of heaven, they, are, they aren't marked by resentment. They're, they're marked by reconciling. But then Paul also says, and citizens of heaven are also a people who are full of joy, not full of anxiety and worry and fear. Now let me remind you yet one more time where Paul was when he was writing this letter. Where was Paul? He was in prison. Which means, of course, what he's not saying is that you should always be happy and that everything's going to be wonderful and dandy if you follow the divine, right? That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that joy is of a different ilk. And the way he says, right before he says, don't worry about anything whatsoever, he says these three words. He says, he says maybe it's four words, the Lord is near. Right? The Lord is near. In other words, what allows you, even amidst the difficulties of life, to continue to be a people of joy and not to be a people chained by anxieties and worries is not a lack of difficulties. It is instead the presence of God. Right? The example that I've used before that is always helpful for me when it comes to this is of me being a child right, and, and staying at this kind of ratty, kind of nasty hotel room you know, with my dad in a less than glorious place. And, 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 and the fact that you know, I, I, was, I was pretty scared in the middle of the night. It was so dark, thick curtains, you know, and, 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 uh, and the, the air conditioner was so loud. I couldn't hear a thing, but I could hear what I was quite certain uh, were cockroaches crawling on the carpet and on the walls. It may not have been, but I was pretty convinced at that age, and I knew where we were. It was kind of scary, and so I felt the anxiety, right, until the air conditioner finally shut off for a little bit, and then I could hear my father breathe, and then I knew that I wasn't alone, that my father was there. It didn't change the location. It's not like all of a sudden we became the Ritz-Carlton in Beverly Hills. Oh, no, this was still the sketchy hotel in Sketchville, USA, but... In the midst of that, in the midst of the crawling bugs, in the midst of the weird smells, I knew that my father was near, and that made all the difference. Paul says here that a people who even live in the midst of fears and anxieties, what you need to know is that the Lord is with you. Gordon Fee says that in a time and a place full of anxieties and fear, what might it look like for the citizens of heaven to show how in spite of that, there is still joy, there is still hope when Christ is near. Paul says markers of citizens of heaven are that they are about the cross, that they are reconcilers, that they are full of joy. But Paul also in this passage does something else which I think is most important for us to see. Which is that Paul not only says these are the things, these are some of the markers of citizens of heaven, but he also, I think, begins to give us a glimpse of how exactly we begin to live into that. 
You see, the easy thing, I think, is always to be able to tell us this is how we should live. The hard thing is trying to figure out how do we actually begin to live like that, right? The truth be told, it's easy to be consumers. It's easy to be full of anxiety and fear. It's easy to hold grudges rather than being about reconciliation. But Paul, I think, in this passage also begins to help us to understand how we can begin to take the letters or the words off of the page and have them begin to actually start shaping us differently. So last week I talked a little bit about, uh, about the fact that I have run uh, and, and been a jogger when I was 180 pounds versus a jogger when I was 210 pounds and the difference in that. And, uh, and someone, uh, actually a few folks afterwards, uh, uh, you know, came and talked to me. And it was kind of interesting because, you know, one of them was like, well, was that really true? And I always find it fascinating. More often than you would think, people come up to me after I've told a story and they're like, was that really true? Like, I mean, I should be a little bit offended, right? That people think, I'm not that creative, first of all, and I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you, right? I mean, usually, right? And so, no, it really is true. I mean, there's a, there was a slight difference. was that actually I was 212 pounds, and I got down to 178 pounds, but it was literally like, like a day. I never saw that again, right? But it was a glorious day, and it's the only thing I ever think about, right? And so, so... But all of that happened when I was living in one particular place. And the, and the place I was living was, was in Grove City, Pennsylvania. And, and, and a part of the reason why I was able to lose the weight was not just because all of a sudden I had this new resolve. I was really going to do it this time. Things were really going to be different. No, no, no. A part of the reason, actually, one of the, one of the greatest impactors on that was because of the fact that in Grove City, for me, there were not very many places that I wanted to eat out at. There just weren't that many, in my mind, good places to eat, right? If the best Mexican restaurant was in Sharon, I thought, and that was about 25 minutes west, any kind of really kind of decent chain like a Red Robin was 45 minutes to the south in a town called Cranberry. I couldn't even get like a Costco hot dog. That was 45 minutes to the south, right? There, was, there wasn't really, there weren't that many, right? And the main reason why I had put on so much weight was because I love to eat out, right? And so all of a sudden, the structure, the place in which I lived had changed, right? When I moved there, it had changed, which then helped me to start being able to lose weight, right? It wasn't just me saying, okay, I'm going to do this. i got to do this. Stop eating so much. No, no. It's because I didn't have any choice, right? There just wasn't anything that was that enticing. It took a lot of work for me to go someplace where I really wanted to eat. And because of that, because that structure, because what had surrounded me had changed, all of a sudden, literally, my own shape began to change. And I think that actually, spiritually, we are much the same way. Most of us cannot just kind of read something from Philippians and say, oh, that's great. Let's start doing that tomorrow. We're going to start reconciling. We're not going to hold grudges anymore. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to stop consuming. This is going to be fantastic. No, no, no. From the vast majority of us, it does not work like that. Rather, what we have to ask is how can we change the structure in which we live so that we can be a people who do those things? And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. He starts by saying, 
imitate me. He bookends, this passage begins by saying, imitate me, follow the example of others like me, right? And then he, then he goes on at the very end of the passage, you know, by telling them to do things that they have learned from him, right? And a lot of people, right, when they hear that, they're like, well, this guy was just kind of a jerk. I mean, you know, imitate me. Hey, guys, just be like me. That's not really, you know, that's not the, the greatest of things. It doesn't seem all that humble, right? And I get it. It feels a little bit odd. And yet, it seems to me that what Paul is doing is simply telling the truth, which is the way that you learn how to do things is not usually just from reading a book. It is from watching and observing and listening and seeing how people actually live. That that, more often than not, is how we change. In fact, one commentator said, the real arrogance, quite frankly, are those people who think that they can walk this road of discipleship without following someone else who is further down the path. And as I was thinking about that this week, all of a sudden, just very quickly, there were people who started coming to my mind. People who had taught me things, right? Not, not, not just taught me and said, well, you need to do this, but whom I had watched. And the more I watched them, the more I imitated them. And the more I imitated them, then the more I became shaped like Jesus, right? So I was thinking about my mom, right? My mom, who, who, who I can always remember that even when we were financially strapped, she was still generous, generous to the church, generous to others, and not begrudgingly, but with great joy, right? I can remember David Tilly, right? David Tilly was a guy who helped me to know what it meant to love the Lord my God with all of my mind, not just all my heart, but with all my mind as well. Steve Hayner, I've talked about him before. I watched him as he struggled with death. And as he struggled with death, I saw how he continued to have joy. I learned what it was to have joy from Steve Hayner. I learned what it was to love my actual neighbor from people like Daryl Guter and Joel Adams, who I watched and saw how they were always about loving their actual neighbor. And I began to learn from them. I, I, I learned and continue to learn from my wife, Megan, about what it means to forgive freely. She has taught me so much. I could read about forgiveness until the sky goes until, what's the phrase? The cows come home. I could read about it until then, but to see somebody who forgives freely, I tend to forgive begrudgingly, right? I'm sorry, right? She does it so much more quickly that I continue to learn what that looks like. I learned the love of the Bible from Donald Jewell who, who just kind of demonstrated this love and you saw it. I just kind of kept going on and on and so quickly as I began to see my own kind of walk of faith, people's minds, people started coming to my mind. And my guess is, if I asked you, you would have people whose lives you have tried to imitate, haven't you? All right, I'm going to give you five seconds, and I'm going to count down. And when I get to zero, I want you to yell. Now you don't have to yell, Al. You don't have to be me. But just say the name of one person that you can think of, or two. You ready? Five, four, three, two, one. All of us have people in our minds, people that we have imitated, right? We've structured our lives intentionally or unintentionally to have people there who help us to follow Jesus, which means a couple things. First, people are watching you. Now, that's a little daunting, I will be honest, 
But whether you want them to or not, people are watching you to see how you live. And the question is this. It's not are people watching. The question is, when people see you, if they were to imitate you, would they look more like Jesus or less like Jesus? I know that's not a fun question, is it? Let's move on. The second thing is this. We need people in our lives whom we can imitate. And if you don't have those people, then you need to figure out, we need to figure out together how to find those people for you. Right? For me, sometimes it's been someone who I've been on one-to-one discipleship. At other times, I've seen it happen in home groups. I've seen it informally with just kind of getting together with a meal with somebody who I really think, I like this person. This person seems to have some things together and seems to be further down this journey of faith than I am. Whomever it is, let me encourage you, find somebody like that. If you don't have someone, right, change that structure. But then secondly, it seems to me as well, is that Paul also says, not only do, we, do you change the structure, do you, do you see, or do you have people in your life for whom you can imitate, but also how are you spending your time and what are you spending your time thinking about? Right? What are you spending your time reflecting upon? This is what the, the song that was sung during the offertory kind of uh, brought up. And he says, you know, whatever is true or honorable or just or pure or pleasing or commendable or worthy of praise, think about those things. Now, English says think about. That's not really that helpful. It's really more, it's much deeper than that. It's really kind of take account of, meditate on, soak in so much that you begin to be changed because of that. And, and, and again, you can't just start doing that, right? Most of us cannot just start doing that. And, and what I wonder is, as we think about how we structure our time, are we structuring our time, what we hear, what we see, are we structuring those things in such a way that they would lend themselves to thinking about things that are pure and lovely and praiseworthy? Here's what I mean. If you spend two or three hours binge-watching, right, a reality TV show or violence all the time or even news channels right now, and you spend that much time reflecting on that, you cannot turn off the TV and all of a sudden start thinking about what is pure and lovely. And if you surround yourself with people who are constantly negative and all that they see is the evil in the world and that's all that they seem to be able to talk about or do, then guess what? You are going to be shaped in that way and you will not be able to just quickly start thinking about that which is praiseworthy. Now hear me. I am not saying that we are called to live Pollyanna-ish lives where we just bury our head in the sand and act like everything's great. By no means. But what I do mean is, if you do not have the time, if you are not cultivating time to think about what is pure and lovely and commendable and praiseworthy, you will be suffocated by the world around us and you will not have strength to be able to have the hope and see the light of Christ that will then help to overcome those things. How are you spending your time? What are you watching? What are you listening to? And if it is any one particular thing, um, I won't say. But turn off the TV. Shut down social media for a while. Do that at least 30 minutes a day, at least, and begin to think about, cultivate yourself into a person who can begin to think about things in those ways. Change the structure. If you do not change the structure, you will not become more and more shaped like the citizens of heaven that Paul says we are called 
to become. Looking more like citizens of heaven does not come easily. But if we want to be a people who look more like the cross than simply consumers who are belching out praise, if we want to be a people who truly are about reconciliation, and if we want to be a people who are full of joy, we need to surround ourselves with people. At least have one person in your life whom you can imitate in that way. And if you don't have that, let me encourage you. Talk to Pastor Scott. Talk to me. Talk to somebody else. But talk to one of us. We're, we're more than happy. There are lots of people around here that I love to be able to imitate. Because we are a lot of dear saints in Christ. Right? Come talk to us. If you find yourself, if you find it difficult for you to be able to think about what is lovely and pure and commendable and worthy of praise, then shut down those things that are not allowing you to cultivate that. And if we do so, it seems to me not only will we be more and more marked like citizens of heaven, But we also then will have the strength and the grace to be able to show those around us who are caught up in the difficulties of this world what it means to be a people of joy in the midst of anxiety. Sisters and brothers, change your structure. Change those who surround you. Change how you spend your time if need be. That we might truly Follow the words of Scripture and follow the Christ who has gone on before us and who is near. May it be so. Amen.